You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. just a few minutes about why we should expect good things from the Lord and why you should not use a tablet for notes because you might lose everything. Okay, I think I found it. Why? Reasons why. We should expect things from the Lord. And I, I could have done it from memory, but I just wanted to make sure I didn't, I didn't miss anything. So I'm going to give you three. I'm usually not a three-point message kind of guy, but this is a three-point message kind of day. And so I'm going to give you three reasons why you should expect good from the Lord. <clears throat> I could give you, I actually could stand up here and I could do one of two things. One is I could tell you all of the discouraging facts in the natural, and I could tell you plenty of failures that I've had. Times when I didn't see things work. Times when I did not have the answer to why manifestation didn't happen. When God's word promises and I didn't see it, I could sit here all day and tell you that, and that would utterly discourage you and destroy you, and there's no reason to do that. But you know, let me just say this. We do that, and I'm... I'll say that I have been guilty of this myself, but we do that so often. We rehearse the failures. We rehearse why it didn't work, why the person died, or we ask the question or say, God, I don't understand, or this is bothering me, and we focus on that so hard, we find ourselves out of just a simple, pure faith in God's word and looking at all of the problems and the issues. You know, Todd White is one of the greatest testimonies in the world, and he, that guy has seen incredible miracles, incredible amount of people healed. And you know that he prayed for, according to his count, approximately 900 people before he saw one person healed. 900 people. That's, that's pretty uh, unbelievable. 900. Most of us would have quit after three. But he just, he got a word from God. He got a hold of the scriptures most importantly, he got a hold of the gospel, and he realized the love of God is for everybody, and God wants people to be healed. He wants people to be set free. He's a deliverer. He's a healer. He's a provider, and he got a revelation of that, so we went out and started praying for people, and I don't think he knew much when he started, and nobody really knows much when they start, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I still sometimes don't think I know very much, but we just do, we just do what we can with what we have, but he just decided, I'm going to press forward. I'm going to keep moving, moving forward. And then all of a sudden, he started seeing people healed. Somebody who doesn't understand something would be like, oh, God, God finally, God rewarded his faithfulness. No, God's, God, God had already delivered the goods. His faithfulness caused him to come to a place of just, I don't know, just really trusting God or pressing through. I, I don't know all the reasons why it took 900 times, but he, uh, praise God, he went for the 901st time, and now he's seen more. He's seen people raised from the dead, blind eyes open. You can go and watch videos online where deaf ears come open, blind eyes come open, all kinds of stuff. Why? Because he pressed forward, and he looked at what was true instead of what he didn't understand. So I'm going to give you three reasons why you and I should expect good things from God. 
When we get into a situation that's challenging, that's difficult, why we should expect good things from God. And the natural mind or the unbelieving mind or the broken heart would go and look at the things past and go, but what about these things? And I, I'll tell you, I've, I've been there. I've been down that road, and it doesn't lead to anything except more doubt and more unbelief. Because for a while, I'm like, I'm like, God, I lost my mom. I lost my mom too early, way too early. And I could give you 10 other things that happened. But, you know, I could also sit here and tell you, if I were to sit and think about it, probably hundreds of people just in my personal ministry that have received healing Many miracles right in front of my eyes that I've seen. One of the uh, most profound ones I'll never forget was when Ron and I were praying for that guy at the, I think it was a 7-Eleven, a gas station. And man, he had a, he had a, a large marble size uh, lump right there. And we prayed for him and that thing, that thing shrunk in two minutes to basically nothing. I felt it with my own hands. But you know what the devil wants us to do? He wants us to focus on the times we prayed and we didn't see it happen versus all the times that God, that we did see it happen. I was going to say that God was faithful, but I got news for you. God's always faithful. If anybody's missing it, it's us. There's no condemnation for that. But if anybody's missing it, it's not God. It's us. There, there's something to be said for people that hold a simple, pure faith, a childlike faith that just believes what the Bible says about what, who God is and about what he can do and about what he's provided. There's something to be said for people that hold a simple, pure, childlike faith just like that. That's the kind of people we need to be. So I'm going to give you three reasons why we should expect good from God. I want to go to Luke chapter 11. I love this. This passage is, has really ministered to me a lot. Luke chapter 11 and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read 13 verses here. But before I read all of them, verse 2 is where it all comes together. And we're going to start at verse 1. But I'm going to hit something in verse 2 that's very important. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Now, Matthew's version says, pray in this manner. So let me just throw something out right off the bat that's extremely important. Don't go and recite this thinking that you're being spiritual. <laughs> because in another, another place, Jesus actually, there's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. It's Scripture. I mean, praise God, if you're going to recite something, recite Scripture. But a lot of people get in this mode of praying it, think that, thinking that they're doing something to where God's like, oh, I'm so impressed with you. Now, now I can move. No, it's a, it's a faith thing. What are you believing? The words are supposed to produce faith in your heart. And there was another time when he, he mentioned to the, dis, uh, not the disciples, but the Pharisees, um, he said that, that the hypocrites, the Pharisees, that they love to, to pray, and they pray vain repetitions, repetitious prayers. So for anyone that would take this and go, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, the will be done. That's the same thing the Pharisees did. You're just taking the prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray, and you're, you're, just, you're just reciting stuff. This is supposed to bring about an understanding that's applicable in faith for us today. Amen. And so it says, when you pray, say, or Matthew's translation, or Matthew's version says, pray in this manner, our Father in heaven. 
Now, we can go through and look at all the rest of it, and, and we will. I'll read it in just a second. But you have to understand first who he is addressing here. First, who is Jesus addressing? It's his father. And I'm going to give you right now, here's reason number one, why we should expect good from God. It's because he is our father. He is our father first. You can pray to him as master, as Lord, as creator, as all of the things that God is and all of that's true. And there's a place for all of it. But when we are in need, because you look at this, and it's talking about somebody that's in need, talking about daily bread, sins forgiven. I don't know about you all, but I need bread daily, and I'm so thankful that Jesus has passed over my sins, and I need to go back and continue to remember the love of the Father for sending Jesus to pass over my sins. Can I get a big amen on that? Amen. And so we have to know that when we're going to God as Father, as father first, not just saying, oh, father, help me. But you realize that he's not just a good dad, good dad. He's the good dad who's the best good dad that there ever was. He defines goodness. He defines what the best is. He defines the greatest. So his motivation in our need isn't because we pray and beg and plead. And finally, he's like, all right, they won't shut up. So I guess I'll just give them what it is that they need. But honestly, that's the way that, that a lot of people, I, I know I'm preaching in the choir here, it's not you guys. A lot of people approach the Lord like that, thinking that he's the guy up in the sky, the man upstairs, you know, the, whoever, the angry guy, whatever, this God that knows me but doesn't really like me very much, he just kind of tolerates me. You know, I don't, I don't know another, for all of you that are, are parents, the, and I've tried to tell my kids this, like there's no way to express the love that you can have for another human being until you have your own kids. And everybody, every, I just want to see, is that true? All you parents, is that true? There's nothing like it. You have your kids and it's like you think you, you know what love is and then you have your kids and it's like, oh my gosh. Well, we don't do that perfectly, but God does do it perfectly. God loves us perfectly. He is, he is the good best father that there ever was. He's the best Good father is probably the right way to say it. He's the best good father that there ever was or ever will be. That's why you should expect good things from him. If you, if, if you or I are not expecting good from him, then we just, we, just don't even, we just don't have a right perspective about who he is. Just as simple as that. Reason number one, he's a good father. But let me read the rest of this. This is so good. It says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, see, and when you know he's a good father, it won't be like, oh, God, please bring healing down. Please come and be with us. You won't say things like that. You won't even think like that because it's like he's a good father. Okay, Father, we want the good stuff that's in heaven to manifest here on this earth, and we're in cooperation with you because we know that you want us to have it more than we need it. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I want you to understand something. This is really important. Because this next few verses I've, I'm going to read here, I've heard preached wrong for a long time. And I'm going to set the record straight. And anyone that has a problem with it, they come talk to me. But I have heard these next verses taught, saying, that this is a place for intercession, 
And I'm just going to burst your bubble and say th these verses are not a place for intercession. That's not what this is talking about. These next verses, which I'm going to read, are contrasting what a cruddy friend, I'll say cruddy, what a cruddy friend would be like compared to the almighty, loving, heavenly Father. Context is king. You can't take one passage of Scripture out of its context and make it mean something that it doesn't mean. Because we see our Father, and then if you jump down into verse 11, it says, if a son asks, and we're going to get to that in just a second, this is talking about a father-son relationship, but it injects this friend thing right here in the middle of it, and it's contrasting what a, what a crummy, cruddy friend would do, how much more would our loving Heavenly Father do for us? Look at this. And it says, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say, <laughs> I don't know. He talks like, just like that. I heard it in the spirit. All right. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many, uh, as, many as he needs. So I've heard this taught before, like, look, if you don't have your needs met, then you just need to go and be persistent in prayer, asking the Lord, and eventually he'll give to you. If you think that way, you're totally wrong, and you're totally defeated. You're coming from a place of defeat. God is a father. He's a good dad. He wants us to have the good stuff. I was talking to this man one time years ago, and I didn't understand this. I didn't have any revelation of this particular passage, but I did about the love of God, and and his wife was dealing with something very, uh, very major illness. And I said, man, let's lay hands on her. Let's pray for her. Let's see her heal all this stuff. And he's like, well, he's like, she'll just take her medicine for now. And if it gets too bad, we'll just camp out on God's doorstep and, and we'll just plead until he does something. And he literally told me that. And I didn't, I didn't know what to say. Now I would say, man, you're out of your mind. I, I'm pretty blunt with people now to say, you're crazy, dude. That's what I would say to him. You, you are crazy, and you don't know the love of God because your begging and pleading isn't going to get God to give you any more than what he's already given you through Christ Jesus. <laughs> Anyways, so look at verse 9. It says, so I say to you, so I say to you. I look at verses 5 through 8 basically as just like a, a parenthetical phrase put in there. You know what a parenthesis is? Everybody knows what parentheses is. You make a point and you add this thing in there that you actually could take that out and all of it still makes sense. In my mind, that's like a whole parentheses there because he's saying, our Father which art in heaven. Jump down to verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Not knock, 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 knock. Seek, 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 seek. And hopefully the guy inside that has all the goods to help you with anything that you will ever need in your life will finally get annoyed enough to open the door and give you what you need so that you'll go away. That's not the heart here. It's saying God loves you. Just knock on the door and say, Father, I need something. He'll open it and it's right there. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. And I know some people could say, man, I knocked, and I didn't get what I needed. It doesn't change what God's word says. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change God's nature. And it doesn't change our position with him, which is a father-child relationship. If a son asks for, uh, ask for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish... 
Will he give him, give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And, you know, I don't, I don't know that this was some kind of uh, common communication back then or something, but I read this, and I think that Jesus was trying to paint a picture of how ridiculous people see the Lord. Because until Jesus came on the scene, they really knew him as, as God, a provider. And I think some knew him intimately, but probably worldwide, the people that believed in God, they really did not know him as father. So he's trying to relay to them, look, you, you guys are our fathers. You're, you're natural people. And if your kid came to you and said, I'm hungry, dad, would you say, oh, sure, son, that's fine, and give him a, a stone to crunch on and break his teeth? I mean, that's the reality. That's like what goes through my mind. It's like that's pretty, that would be a rotten thing. And Jesus would say, no, nobody would do that. So you need to know what the father is really like, his nature, and who he really is. He's the best good dad there ever was. And then in verse 13, it says, if, then, if you then, being evil, and I think, I think you could look at that and just say, I don't think all the people he was talking to were like evil, but compared to God, yes. <laughs> if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father ask the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Or excuse me, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Number one, reasons to expect good from God, he's our Father. Number two, and I want to go to Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55. And number two, I'm going to tell you number two right now, is that his word is true. His word is true. Isaiah 55, and actually we're going to go to verse 10. We're going to read verses 10 and 11. We know this. I quoted it earlier, a part of it earlier. It says, for as the rain comes down. So this is Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain comes down in the snow from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When God's word is spoken, it is a true word because there is nothing but truth found in God. There is no lie in him. He cannot, he cannot lie. If God lied, we would cease to exist. Everything is held together by the power of his word or the word of his power, Colossians chapter 1. If God ceased to hold true to his word, we, I, I believe we will never know because he'll never lie. But I believe that we would actually literally cease to exist as human beings. I think the entire world, the entire universe would totally just come to nothing. And it's because all things are held together by the power of his word. His word is power and his word is true. He cannot lie. It is against everything about who he is. So when God's word is sent, it is sent to accomplish the thing that it was sent to do. Just like rain that falls from heaven and snow that falls from heaven, not heaven like we think, but the sky, right? As it falls down to the earth, it's sent, it comes down to accomplish something. So is his word. When his word is sent, when it's released into a situation, it's sent for a purpose and it will not return void. 
it will not return void. It will not return void. Because if it did, then God would be found a liar. And God cannot lie. So then the question comes in, well, that's fine, but I spoke and I didn't see it come to pass. I prayed and the person died. I whatever, fill in the situation, fill in the blanks of the situation. So then we also have to compare Scripture with Scripture. Because if you look in Mark chapter 4, where we just were, he talks about the parable of, of the sower and the, the, the parable of the soils, I refer to it often, to where the sower goes out and sows the word. And the word is true. The seed is the constant in every situation, but it gives four types of ground there. And depending on the type of ground that the seed fell on made the difference on how well that seed produced what was in it to produce. Point being is that we have a part to play in this thing. And so we have to come to a point to where when things don't happen, just like God's word says they're supposed to happen, we can't shift the blame back on God and say, well, Lord, you didn't hold true to your word, or Lord, this didn't happen, or get frustrated or get offended. You know, the disciples, I've come to find this out, is that offense is one of the biggest reasons why people don't manifest things. They're either offended at other people and it just keeps you out of love, and it keeps you out of faith. Faith works by love, and it will keep you out of love. It will keep you out of faith. But people get offended at other people, but they also get offended at God. i, I got to be honest with you, totally honest with you. I've, I've had to walk through that in my life. And part of it was a victim mentality because it was like a, an entitlement mentality. God, I've been preaching your word. I've been walking in your word. I've been speaking your word. I've been declaring your word. I've prayed for people. I've seen them healed. I've seen amazing things happen, not because of my ability, but because of who you are and your ability working through me. I've seen these awesome things, but yet the things that were most important to me, some of them, the most important thing to me, I didn't see happen. And as I begin to say that and speak that to God, you know, you can vent to God, but you better be careful of your own heart in the process of venting to God. Because you can get your heart into a place of offense to where you're like the disciples on the boat saying, don't you care about us? Don't you care about me? Look at the situation I'm in. Don't you realize that I'm drowning here? Don't you realize that I should have had this and I didn't have it? You know what that is? It's an offended heart. I've been there, done that, bought a t-shirt, and then I sold it at a garage sale and said I'll have nothing to do with it ever again. You get an offended heart, and you, you just won't trust the Lord. But we have to, we have to guard our heart. Because what happens is when our heart gets offended, it gets sick. And it, What's, the, what's the, the, the verse I'm thinking of about a, a sick heart? Someone help me out here. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when you believe for something, and you're saying, God, I'm believing for this. I know what your word says. I'm pressing forward. And then you don't see it. Your hope can become deferred, and if you'll stay in that place of looking at your problem instead of Jesus the solution and his word, your heart can become sick, and you won't believe for anything, and you'll even get into a place to where you get offended. You get offended at God. We can't ever do that. God's our, he's the answer. He's the solution. And I, I could go back. I could camp on this all day, all day long. But part of the reason why some people, like this kind of message goes over so many people's heads because they've, got, they've been indoctrinated through religion that God is just sovereignly in control of everything that's happening in our life. That is one of the most grievous, messed up doctrines that has ever been taught to the body of Christ, ever. If you believe that, 
at your core, if you believe that, you won't stand and fight against anything. And if it's all God's will, why did he give us a sword? It says, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submission to God comes first, but then once you do that, you resist the devil. And it means to actively fight against. Why would we have a a command to come against the devil, to resist the devil, to actively fight against the devil if it was all just up to God? Man, that, that whole theology, philosophy has so many holes in it. There are things that God does that are independent of us. You are not going to de- determine when the second coming of the Lord is. I just got news for you. You just are not going to. De- Whenever the, the tribulation time begins and the tribulation time ends is on God's timetable, not on mine or your timetable. There are things that he has placed within his authority. But he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That means that we have a part to play, that we are the ones that can determine how things are going to go in our life. I think most of you agree with that. But that's, one, that's something that people have grown up with that mentality, and it's still, it's still rooted in the core of what they believe. So they'll pray. They won't see it. And so they'll just step back and go, well, I, I guess God needed my grandma at home in heaven. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, actively fight against it. You know who David Hogan is? I heard this. Maybe it was you that was telling me this. You guys were telling me this. But David Hogan, uh, something to this effect. I won't get into all the details. You can go look it up. But basically, he makes people sign a something saying that if that if they that he's going to raise them from the dead if they die before a certain age, like eighty years old or something like that. I forget. And in his church, and they have to sign something if they don't want to be raised from the dead. Am I? In any, any age. Okay, otherwise, he's going to raise him from the dead. You might say, well, I don't believe that. Well, tell the hundreds of people that have been raised from the dead through his ministry. <laughs> you don't have to take my word for it. Go look up all the specs and the details and the whatever in his ministry. It's there. It's for reals. It's for reals. We have, we have so much authority through the word of God. We just, we just don't know what we have. And we listen to the lies of the enemy. And when we pray and we don't see immediate manifestation, most of the time, here's what happens. Most of the time, we think it didn't work. That's how the disciples were thinking whenever Jesus spoke to the fig tree. And I can't explain to you why certain things happen instantly. When I pray for someone, no matter what they're dealing with, my my faith and my believing is that instant manifestation comes, instant. But sometimes things just take a little bit of time. I don't always understand that, but I know this, that when we pray and we release the word of the Lord, it always works, always. We just so many times, we go in with our unbelief and our doubt and our worry and our fear, and we dig up the seed and we toss it out and don't leave it in the soil. The disciples, they were like, Jesus rebuked the, the, the fig tree, and he cursed it and commanded it to die and let no one ever eat from you again. And approximately 24 hours later, they're walking back by the fig tree again, and they're like, whoa, look, Jesus, it's dead. 
Jesus already knew it was dead because he spoke to it, and at the roots, it died instantly when he spoke to it, instantaneously. But the manifestation didn't come for another day or so. Still pretty good results, amen? You can curse cancer. You can curse COVID. You can curse whatever pain you got going on in your body. You have the authority to do it. And when you speak, don't you dare take back your words because they are binding, they are true, and they are God's words, and they have to come to pass. His word is always true. That was number two. Number three, and this is so simple, and I kind of already said it, but these are three reasons, again, that we should expect good to come from God. Number one, he's our father. Number two, his word is always true. And number three, his nature is good. His nature is good. Can we pull up 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34, up there? 1 Chronicles 16 and 34. I just want to read this up on the big screen altogether. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. We know that, but let's remember that. His his nature is good. It's good. His nature is good. It, it defines who he is. If you were to, you know, if you were to say something about Liz or about Ron or about any one of us or about me, you might use a word or two words or five words to describe who that person is. One of the words that we use to describe who God is is that he is good. Period. He is good. Here's what I, if you're not convinced of that, here's what I would encourage you to do. Spend about 95% of your time in the New Testament, particularly in the, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, in the book of Ephesians, Galatians, really all of it actually, but stay in the New Testament because the New Testament is the revealing of who the Father is through the Son. See, there was a glory and there was a partial revelation through the law and through the, through the prophets but the fuller manifestation of who God the Father really is came through the Son, Jesus. That's why the New Testament is so important. If you could go and read between the lines and see things in the Old Testament, you'll find that you'll find the God of grace, the God of love, the, the good God. This is actually, you know, First Chronicles in the Old Testament. You'll see God's goodness through the whole thing. What I've found sometimes is that people will try and go and define who Jesus is through the law, through all of these Jewish things or whatever. They'll like want to do all the stuff to see who Jesus is. Just go look at the New Testament. You can see clearly who he is. And then if you want to go back and you want to do feasts and you want to do this, that, and the other, that's your business, you'll have a better revelation of who, of who Jesus really is and who God really is. So instead of you know blowing trumpets and doing feasts and doing weird dancing things to try to get God to be pleased with you and whatever, you get a revelation of it, and then if you feel so compelled to go and do those things, you'll do it because it just declares the goodness of God on another level to you. God is a good God through and through. He can't be anything else. I want to read you one more verse, and then we'll quit. Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. Is this good stuff? Good stuff, Maynard? I don't even know what that means. Hopefully it doesn't mean something bad. I don't. Psalm 5. In verse 4, I love this. It says, for you 
are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. And that word evil, it literally means affliction, misery, trouble, and calamity. Misery, affliction, trouble, and calamity. There is no misery, affliction, trouble, or calamity, and you could fit those things into about any negative, rotten circumstance in the earth, and none of those dwell with God. None of them are from him. Not only is he not evil in the sense that he doesn't like sin and do things like that, but it's also the calamity and the rotten stuff and the negative stuff and COVID and all of that garbage. None of that stuff dwells with God because it would go against his nature of being good. I'm just, every time I go into the presence of God, I'm just going to expect good stuff because he's a good God. He's a good dad. Hallelujah. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.